Good evening, Newark, and welcome to our Sunday evening broadcast. It's good to be together with you again and study the Word of God. I'm excited about our topic this week. Uh, we're talking about doubt. All of us experience doubt. And as we'll find out tonight, it's not all bad. But let's start out with prayer. Thank you, Lord, for today, for the opportunity to study your Word, to learn, and to grow. I ask that you would bless us tonight as we seek to let our thinking and our thoughts be your thoughts and to hide your word in our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. This week as we're talking about doubt, I'm going to take a few minutes to delve a little into what, what types of doubt there are and kind of what doubt does in our mind, how it works in our mind. So first I want, to, I want you to think back with me to when, when you were little, you were a child. Uh, many of us have times where uh, we have good memories. Maybe there are times, for some of us fewer than others, but times when we weren't afraid. Or maybe we didn't question. Uh, that didn't last real long. Because as we grow and as we develop um, and as our brains develop, uh, we begin to, to understand there's things like cause and effect we begin to, to reason. We have the ability to reason and say, mm, if I do this, this may happen or that may happen. Usually that's coming out of our toddler years. We really begin to, to think that way and it continues to grow as we get older. Our critical thinking skills at some point begin to develop and we have some doubt. We may doubt at five years old that we can jump from the arm of the couch to the arm of a chair that's eight feet away. When we were three, we might have taken that leap, really believing we could make it because our ability to critically think wasn't quite there. But we probably did some things that made us fall, made us, we got hurt, and then we realized, oh, there's cause and effect. So that is one of the areas where we begin to doubt. But that's not a bad reason to doubt. It's good to doubt that you can't take your car and jump over a ravine by hitting a ramp and make it 25 feet across. That's, that's some good doubt. That's critical thinking. So we're going to look at that a little bit in the scripture and see how our critical thinking and how our cause and effect and the ability to reason, it really, it really doesn't always apply well in situations with God and with faith. Doesn't mean we shouldn't critically think. But let's see what scripture has to tell us. Before we jump into that, I want, I want to talk about some experiences we have. You and I, uh, we have good experiences. We experience joy, laughter, love, excitement, anticipation, hope, peace, achievement, celebration. These are all great things that we experience. We also experience painful things. We experience tears of sorrow, of pain. We experience hurt, disappointment, failure, fear, loss, and suffering. 
all of these experiences, they're, they're coupled together, as we talked about our brain developing. These things are coupled together with, with our de development of our brain. And, and as we develop, we begin to interpret our world, the world around us, through the lens of our experiences, of our causes and effects, of our critical thinking, of our ability to reason, and it all grows the more we experience, and it changes, but it revolves around our experiences. And this is the process. We begin to process information using the skills we've developed, that our brain has grown, it's matured, and it enhances in these skills, and it takes our life experiences, and that's how we interpret the world around us. And that's where doubt comes into play. Before we talk about that, I want to read you a story. Amelia Bedelia is a housekeeper and a cook. She has a new job for Mr. and Mrs. Robert Rogers. When she arrives that morning, they're on their way out the door unexpectedly, and Mrs. Rogers said, it's so nice to meet you. We're excited to have you on with us. Please go in and read the list I left you on the counter. Follow the instructions exactly, and we won't have any problems. Amelia Bedelia is happy to meet people that are kind and friendly, goes in and gets her list and gets right to work. She makes a pie for Mr. and Mrs. Rogers as a surprise, and then starts on her first task. She goes into the green bathroom where she's supposed to change the towels. The towels look nice. She's not quite sure why they want their towels changed, but she pulls her scissors out and changes them, puts them right back on the rack. Next, the list says to dust the furniture. In her family, they undust the furniture, but at this job, she's gonna do her best to follow the list. So she pulls out the dusting powder that she finds on the bathroom counter. It's a new item she's never seen before. It smells lovely and she dusts the whole house with it. Next, the list says to draw the drapes. That's an odd request, right as the sun comes in to draw the drapes. But she pulls a sketch pad out and she does her best drawing those drapes. She also takes all the light bulbs out of all the light fixtures and it hangs them on the laundry line because the list said, put the lights out when you finish in the living room. From there, she measures two cups of rice into two teacups with her measuring tape. It's about four and a half inches long. And then she pours the rice back in the box because the list said measure two cups of rice. Then she trims the fat on the steak that was laid out for dinner with nice, beautiful ribbon. And then there's the chicken that she was instructed, dress the chicken. They didn't say a boy or a girl, so she chose a boy. She dressed that chicken up like a boy and put it in a box. So excited to be such a helpful housekeeper. Mr. and Mrs. Rogers return home and Mrs. Rogers is terribly upset. She is aghast that their house is, is in, in, in disarray. It looks like someone has wreaked havoc. And right about the time she leans over and in to fire Amelia, Mr. Rogers pops a piece of lemon meringue pie in her mouth, and it was the best pie she ever tasted. Mr. and Mrs. Rogers decided that they could learn to speak differently and think a little differently and say things like undust the furniture, unlight the lights, close the drapes, and things like that, because it was worth changing their thinking for Amelia's good cooking. I was reading this story earlier and 
Dinah sat beside me, my daughter, and she read some of it. And her first reaction was she said, this lady's mean. She's bad. She's tearing these people's stuff up. She's wreaking havoc on their home. And that's how we interpret things many times. Because in Dinah's world, if she did those things, um, that's destructive. So someone taking action like Amelia Bedelia did when she misunderstood that list and she interpreted it through, through what she understood, um, Dinah assumed that she was being mean, that she was doing it intentionally. You and I make those same assumptions. When something happens and someone does something that we view as mean or bad or wrong due to the way we view the world, we make assumptions that someone is intentionally doing harm. We doubt their good intentions. We make those assumptions because of another assumption. We assume they're doing wrong because we doubt their good intentions. And so we make that assumption based on the idea that the other person, Amelia, is interpreting information the same way we are. But that's not the case. We all have different experiences that cause us to interpret the world around us differently. All of us have our own areas where we doubt. I want to read a story to you out of Matthew chapter 14. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dispersed the crowds. And after he sent the crowds away, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Meanwhile, the boat, already far from land, was taking a beating from the waves because the wind was against it. As the night was ending, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! and cried out with fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, Have courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, order me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind, he became afraid and started to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? That's, that's a fascinating question there. For me, I'm like, well, yeah, he doubted. There was a storm that was gonna, could destroy the boat they were in. Of course, it could make him sink. He doubted. But why? Jesus doesn't condemn him to say, you doubter. He said, why did you doubt? Let's go back a few verses before what I read. I read 22 through 31, but let's start at verse 19. This is speaking of Jesus. Then he instructed the crowds to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves and two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. He gave them to the disciples, who in turn gave them to the crowds. They all ate and were satisfied, and they picked up the broken pieces left over, twelve baskets full. Not counting women and children, there were about 5,000 men who ate. 
So right before Peter gets on this boat where there is this storm, he is, is in the midst of experiencing this miracle. This, this miracle where all, there were women and children and men, and the men counted at 5,000, where Jesus fed all of these people with the loaves and, um, and the fishes, I believe. So Peter walks out of a miraculous experience into this boat. There's a storm. Jesus is gone all night in the early hours of the morning. Here he comes walking on the water. Afraid it's a ghost, he says, it's me. Peter has faith. If it's you, ask me to walk on the water. Peter is, is still living from his experience and feeling that experience of, of the miraculous of God feeding these people. And in that, in processing his situation through the miraculous, what he had seen, he steps out of this boat when Jesus tells him to. And he says he begins walking on the water. But then it says, when he saw the strong wind, he became afraid and starting to sink, he cried out. Peter is bombarded in this moment by two realities. The reality he's grown up with, the reality he's experienced as a fisherman. You jump out in the water, you swim or you sink. You get caught in a storm, people drown, boats go under, bad things happen. He's, he's, he's walking on this water and he sees this wind and his brain begins to process this information and it's saying, wait, 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 danger, danger, danger. And, and, and his brain, he doubts what we call doubt because his critical thinking kicks in. His ability for cause and effects kicks in. He's reasoning, oh no, this is bad. The boat's about to go under. I am going to drown. And his faith what we wanes and he begins to doubt. At the same time, his mind is warring with him. He got out of the boat because Jesus just fed 5,000. Jesus can do the miraculous. Jesus can do something no one else can do. His mind is beginning to develop, his, develop this understanding of this is the Messiah. This is the Christ. He's, he's working on this in his brain. So you see Peter is warring in his mind. And Jesus asks him, why did you doubt? Because each of us have a choice. What will we choose? Because we have to choose. Because our mind is warring. Because we have the reality we grew up in. Then we have the reality of this walk with Christ. And we're warring. We're warring within ourselves. We're warring in our mind. That is what was happening with Peter. This is a very real question. Why did you doubt? And it's important to understand why we doubt. Because we're in a fight with our processing, with our mind, with two realities, the reality of this earth and the reality of a life with Christ. And as we war with that in our mind, we need to be able to answer the question, why am I doubting? Take the time to ask, why do I doubt God in this situation? I'm going to skip down a little bit. Um, I want to share. I want to share a little bit of, of testimony with you. Uh, Justin Palmer and Joyce Allen are both helping me um, as we grow and we walk together. Um, they're on my team, and they've been helping me do some research. and And Joyce shared a testimony of hers. Um, 
in this process, and I, I want to I read a little bit of what, what she wrote here about doubt. As she experienced this, this war of the reality she knows living on this earth and the reality she's finding in Christ. She uses the verse, Mark 9, verse 24. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. This father has brought his son to Jesus. He's asking Jesus to heal his son. And and Jesus asks, do you believe? Now, in the midst of all of this, his son is taken with with seizures and and, and terrible things are happening when he would would fall out. He was possessed by this demon. It would be similar to what we call seizures today. And the father says, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. And when Jesus casts the demon out of, of this, this child, he screams and he falls to the ground. And the crowd is murmuring, he's dead, he's dead. And Jesus said, he's not dead. And Jesus pulls him up. The constant, You know why the crowd said he's dead? Because they only had their experiences to go on. And their mind said, when this happens and someone falls out and looks like that, they're dead. And Jesus asked this man this question. Do you believe? And he says, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief, my doubt. Why? Because there's a war going on in his mind, just like there's a war going on in your mind and my mind, because we have to fight with with what we know in our experiences and what this world teaches and what life has taught us and what scripture says and what God has done and the things we have experienced God doing in our lives. Joyce says, this scripture shows that although the father believed, it does not mean that he had no doubt. Just as temptation is not a sin and we need to choose to not act on the temptation, it seems that doubt is the same way. Having faith does not mean that there is no doubt present, but it means that we choose to turn our eyes to Jesus, the author of our faith, and lay our doubt at his feet. Joy shares, I doubted that God could use me. Maybe my doubts even clouded my ability to even recognize my calling. To me, these are facts. She's going to list these facts. I'm not the smartest. I have no special education or fancy degrees. I'm limited in my physical capabilities. I can't always put my thoughts into words. I never seem to make things simple. So this is her reality. This is what her her cause and effect, her life, her, her experiences have led her to what she says, I know this. Yet, when I hold these thoughts, these realities, these doubts up against God's truth and abilities, they never seem to hinder me as much as I'd expected them to. God knows who he created me to be and what skills and talents he gave me. At the end of the day, if I fall short in every area that I mentioned, and if all of these doubts are very true, I am still not at a loss because his strength is made perfect in my weakness. If anything, all of my hindrances make me a more fit vessel to be utilized. Bottom line, it's not about me anyway. 
Oh, I love that. That doesn't make sense in my mind. That in my weakness, in your weakness, God is made strength strong. He can use us. He works stronger in our lives through our weaknesses. That doesn't work in our processing. The weak are hurt. The weak are destroyed. The strong survive. The rich dominate. The powerful dominate. That is not the way it works in God's way of thinking, in God's system. So you and I have to decide which thought process we're going to let control our lives. Joyce continues, doubt is very powerful and can cut us off from what God intends for us if we allow it to be the loudest voice and deciding factors in our lives. I think of doubt as the split in the road. It is my decision to stop at that split and make a choice. Will I allow doubt to veer me towards the path of inactivity? Or will I follow the path of faith and allow God to use me in whichever way he sees fit? It is a choice. It is a path. And sometimes we're even active when we choose doubt. Because we choose to process and go about our lives in a way that makes sense to us, even if it's painful. Or maybe it feels easier because it's comfortable. It's our normal. We understand it. It makes sense. In God's way, my fear rises up. I don't have my illusion of control. It doesn't make sense how I can follow God's scripture and things will work that way when, when it doesn't, it's just how. We can't process it. And so, so with doubt and with our, our mind and the way it processes, we have a choice to make. We have that split in the road. Many times, multiple times a day, we have to choose what we call faith. We choose God's way. So Joyce talks about laying doubt at Jesus' feet. How do we do that? How do we, how do we choose not to doubt? Because those thoughts are still there. Those processing are still there. It's our default. It's our nature. Satan, in, 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 his, in his design and his trickery and his deception, is to get us to be afraid, to think that there's only, there's, that, we, that this, this happens and this happens and, and, and I'm, I'm alone and I'm afraid and uh, sin has control and I can't fight this temptation and I, I can't push back. There's only this way of destruction. I have no hope. I have no purpose. What's the point of living this life? Of living, period. Those are the default thoughts that Satan wants us to go back to again and again and again. Our experiences speak to us. What happened to us as a child speaks to us. What happens to us as an adult speaks to us. These pain, suffering... Even, even things, temptations we've given into that we felt good for a moment. It gave us satisfaction for a time. They speak to us and they draw us. But just like the war in Peter's mind and in that, that son's father's mind, we war. We war in our minds. We war saying, okay, Scripture teaches this and God's Spirit speaks this. But my experiences in, in the world and the brokennesses of the world, they don't match up to what Scripture's saying. How do I make it match up? It doesn't match up. 
It's our thinking. That's why scripture directly speaks to our thought processes, to our thinking. Romans 12, 2 in the New Living Translation says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Scripture says God will transform the way you think. He will take the skills your brain has to make processes and to understand information, and he will use those same skills to transform your mind and the way that you think so that you can know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Let's go on to Colossians 3, verses 1 through 2. Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Keep thinking about things above, not things on the earth. When our mind goes to the the bad, when we struggle with depression, we are defeated, we fail, we're afraid, and our mind begins to go to these things and these processes and the outcomes of the things of this life. And we have no hope and we are despair and we are, we are discouraged. The scripture says, look up, think of the things above. Sometimes we have to get our eyes off of the things of this earth. Sometimes you and I have to get our eyes off the pain and the suffering and the failures and our past and the weights and the things that hold us down. And we have to say, I have hope. I will look up to my God, to my future, to the one who washed away those sins, who covered me with his name in baptism, who filled me with his spirit so that I have the power to overcome temptation, to live a new life in Christ, to walk in the way of the righteous, as we talked about before in Amos, to get into that river of righteous living that God has for us, for you and for I. And Satan wants to control us by our thinking and he wants to take you and he wants to warp your mind into thinking that it's only his way. When Christ says, come, look up to me, I have a new way. I have a new life. It doesn't have to be that way. Let my light destroy the darkness in your thinking so that you can walk in the ways of righteousness and of hope and of peace and joy and love. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather be one mind, united in thought and purpose. Scripture says to think on these things, whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are lovely. It goes on and on. We think of those things into unity. We help one another. When you're down, when your mind goes and you go and you, uh, my dad explains it like a runaway horse and your, your thoughts begin to run away and that doubt takes over and it starts taking you down a road you don't want to go. And that horse is out of control to grab those reins and draw it in. And how do you do that? By calling on Jesus, by thinking on scripture, thinking on things that are good, that are lovely, that are righteous. There's a lot of ugly in this world, but there's a lot of good. There's a lot for all the bad that has happened. It says when the 
darkest gets darker, the light shines brighter. You and I have that hope that whenever there is darker, no matter how dark it gets, the light of Christ will shine brighter and there is good. And you can draw those reins in thinking about those things and looking up and getting your thoughts on the things of God and overcoming that doubt. When you and I, as we grow in Christ, many times we can look at other believers and Christians and say, they don't have any doubt. They pray for people, they get healed. They Bad things happen in their lives and they still seem like they have peace and they smile. And What is going on in their life? How do they not have doubt? They don't live a doubt-free life. But as they draw closer to the Lord, as we grow and we mature in Christ, we think differently. Our thinking begins to change. We learn to think and to trust those scriptures. And to whenever we have doubt take over, we have, you're like, I have a scripture for that. Whenever fear takes over, oh, but God's word says. Whenever loss happens and pain happens, it says he'll never leave me or forsake me. And we know, we learn as we grow and we mature in Christ, part of that is just absorbing and meditating on scripture and learning God's word. Because when that doubt and that fear creeps in, I have a scripture for that. That's what Jesus did. When Satan tempted him and he, Satan came at Jesus when he was fasting for 40 days in the wilderness, everything Satan said, Jesus looked at him and said, I have scripture for that. And Jesus was upheld and strengthened by scripture. When we spend time studying anything, it begins to make sense in our mind. What will you study? When you spend time, you can study any, anything, and you can go study any subject, and it begins to make more sense. We learn. God created us. Our brains learn, and we grow. What will you study to make sense of your life? Will you study the patterns and the things of this life? That, that will all burn, that will all be gone, that you can't take with you to eternity? Or will you study scripture? Will you say, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to study the word of God because it's going to change my thinking and I'm going to grow and it's going to take me to a place far beyond death, far beyond the destruction and the pain of this life. It'll take me to a place and it will give me things that this world cannot take away, that cannot be robbed from me. The more time I spend with God, the more I see Him working in my life, in the lives of others, the more I share my testimony, the more I hear the testimony of others, my brain is constantly making new processes and new pathways. So that when I'm in a situation and something from the past creeps up and doubt and fear begin to attack, I go, no, wait, but I know. I remember God did this. God said this. My friends struggled with something like this. And listen to their testimony. Listen to what God did for them. Nothing can take that away. Nothing can steal that testimony. Nothing can steal the work that God is doing in your life. I want to end with Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 13. Instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, each of you should, in humility, be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. What? That's not what I was taught. That's not how things work in this life. You don't treat others better than yourselves. But that's what scripture says. 
Each of you should be concerned not only about your own interests, but about the interests of others as well. What? I shouldn't just let my own problems consume me and drag me down and make me doubt and be depressed? No. We gotta think about others. What good we can do for others. How I can help my brother and sister because when we help somebody else, we help ourselves. You should have the same attitude toward one another that Christ Jesus had, who though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped. He was God in the flesh, but he said, I will live humbly as a human and I will take upon these things so that I can take them to the cross and I can have a relationship with humanity. He emptied himself by taking on the form of a slave, by looking like other men and by sharing in human nature. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. As a result, God exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So then, my dear friends, just have you as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, continue working out your salvation with awe and reverence. For the one bringeth forth in you both the desire and the effort for the sake of his good pleasure is God continually working to benefit the body of Christ, to help one another, to humble ourselves, to love others, to give for others, to sacrifice for others. Continually working out our salvation, continually drawing closer to God and living for God because God is the one that brings about the desire and the effort in our lives for his good pleasure. God is working on our thoughts. He is changing our thinking. He wants us to love one another. He wants you and I to have thoughts that no matter what comes our way, we have, our thinking has changed. We don't belong to this world. This world doesn't control what happens to us. No longer. We are His. We are bought with a price. We belong to the one and only true God. Nothing can happen on this earth that can take that away from me. Nothing can take that away from you. He is our joy and our strength, our song and our salvation. And if we will allow him to change our thinking, then when doubt comes, it doesn't mean that old way of thinking isn't going to try to come in, but we have a new way of thinking and we can choose just like Joyce said. And even if we choose wrong in that that those thoughts get out of control, we can pull back the reins. We can get scripture. We say, I have a scripture for that. I have a scripture for this. I have a testimony about that. I've heard someone tell their testimony. My God is able to deliver, to overcome, to save. My God will intervene. And my God and your God is the same. Jesus Christ, today, yesterday, and forever. I'm so thankful that you and I have hope. We don't have to be controlled by doubt. We don't have to be controlled by fear. But we can walk in a life of new thinking 
thinking God's way. Take a moment. Let's just worship the Lord right now. Let's ask God right now to touch our thinking. Lord Jesus, thank you that you create in us a new mind and a new heart and new thoughts. Thank you, Lord, that you walk with us, that you are teaching us, that you are training us. When we fail, that you pick us up. Lord Jesus, thank you that no matter what happens in our life, we can look up to you. We can have hope for a future, for an eternity with you, oh God, that we can share this hope with other people to a world to where there is so much darkness and so much pain and so much hurting, Lord Jesus, that your light shines bright into this dark world, into the darkness and the pain, and that you are rescuing and you are delivering and you are healing, oh God, and you are saving us, Lord Jesus. You are covering us with your name in baptism, washing away our sins, filling your, us with your spirit. Thank you, Lord, that you shed your blood on the cross for me, God, that you died in my place, that you took my name and my shame to you, the cross, and you died for me and you covered me, Lord Jesus, thank you for that, Lord. Touch my mind, touch the mind of everyone viewing this, Lord, that you would take us and you would give us, help us to think on good things. Help us tonight, Lord, to step into the river of righteousness, to live there, righteous living, where we think on what is right and true and honest and pure, God. And that no matter what comes our way, we have submerged ourselves in your scriptures and in the word of God. And whatever comes, we can pick up our scripture, we can pick up our word, and we can say, I have a scripture for that. I have a testimony for that. I have a word for that. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, God, for that, Lord. For each and every one of us, Lord Jesus. Each and every one of us, God. Thank you, Lord, for your word that speaks so clearly to us. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Spend time in prayer. Spend time in the word. Let God change your thinking. Let doubt not be your go-to default thinking. Let the Word of God and His power and His joy and His song be part of your thinking. In Jesus' name, have a good night. We love you so much.